Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Mike Cordes. I'm Lou Figaro. And I'm Curtis Longclaw. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. Curtis picked the album we're covering this episode, and so we're going to review Winger's 1988 self-titled debut album. So Curtis, since this was your pick, let's start with you. How did you discover Winger and the first album? Well, it all goes back to 1988 for me. Uh, At the time, I did not have MTV. My music video watching experience was limited to night tracks on WTBS and or the Atlanta Rock Review on late Friday nights. And I stumbled across the video for 17. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, oh, well, that's cool. Val Kilmer got a band. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and then come to find out it's not Val Kilmer. It's Kip Winger. But, um, you know, I like the song. I didn't know much about the well, of course, we'll get into the the song itself here pretty soon, but I didn't know much about the lyrical content, but I liked the the song. It seemed a bit proggy to me, and uh, I went out and got the album. I I really didn't get into them much more after that until uh, I saw them in concert uh, back in 2017, and they were just really excellent in concert. I mean, I, I know that they had taken a hiatus for several years, but then they got back together and, uh, you know, produced a few more albums, but, uh, they're, they're just a really good live band. And, uh, it caused me to revisit this album quite a bit. And it's, it's by far their best album, in my opinion. Uh, it's the one I enjoy the most. So yeah, yeah. Great, great live band and great first album. Rock and Mike, how about you? So I had, um, a friend that had met Kip Winger while he was in Alice Cooper's band. Um, and he said what a nice guy he was. So when I found out that, w- that he had his own band, I was just waiting to hear it. And then I saw the Madeleine video and I went out and bought it. Um, and I, I enjoyed the record and I saw them on tour for this record with the bullet boys and Cinderella, which was, uh, actually it was a really good show. Bullet boys were on tour for the first album. Uh, winger was on tour for this and Cinderella was on tour for long, cold winter. So that was just a, it was a cool tour and, um, I'll save everything else for the review. All right. Wow. That's great. Lou. I heard about this band in the early summer of 1990. So it was right. I think as their second album was coming out and I was airbrushing t-shirts that summer on the boardwalk in point pleasant, New Jersey. And this pimply faced girl came in and she's got the picture of her and Kip winger, like cheek to cheek. And she says she's in the fan club and they've got tickets to see them soon. I don't know if it was that night or that weekend or whatever, but she wanted a, this T-shirt with her face on the and his on the shirt. And um, after I tell her my price for the two faces, uh, she settles for the logo <laughs> and um, <laughs> that robot face on the on the cover. The, on the cover and, um, with her name and number one fan and she left happy. And I suppose that she went on to lead a productive life as a diehard Kip Winger fan. And I could imagine her happily married to a man who kind of looks like old Charles Frederick. Um, (laughs) 
and has raised wonderful little pimply faced little winger loving mullet heads. Um, anyway, she left a tape with me and I put it in while I worked on her shirt. And that's when I first heard winger. All right. I remember very well the first time I became aware of this band. I saw the music video for Madeleine on Headbangers Ball on MTV, and I laughed my ass off at how stupid I thought the band name was. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is a winger? I didn't know it was a guy's name. I thought it was like a dumbass way of saying burr or some shit. And the video didn't help either, right? All I saw were these pretty boys prancing around, and I barely listened to the song. Once the chicks caught on to Kip Winger, though, and he became a heartthrob, I was like, no fucking way. I want nothing to do with these guys. So cut to a couple years later, and Winger puts out its second album. Like, so, yeah, 1990. And I heard the first single from that album, Can't Get Enough. I saw the video for that, and for some unknown reason, I kind of liked it. And then I heard they were going to open for Kiss on the Hot in the Shade tour. So I said, fuck it. I want to hear what these guys are about. I'm going to see them anyway. I'll give them a shot. So I got In the Heart of the Young on cassette, the second album. And don't you know, I ended up really liking it. So then I went back and got the first album. This was right around the time when this group became the targets of hair metal haters. And Metallica was throwing darts at Kip Winger's pitcher. And Beavis and Butthead were making fun of him. So the backlash against him was on in a big way. But I didn't care. And I still don't. Spoiler alert. I like this band. Now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this record brought to you by Wikipedia, and this is not a paid endorsement. <laughs> Winger is the self-titled debut studio album by American rock band Winger, released on August 10th, 1988 on Atlantic Records. It was produced by Bo Hill and was recorded in 1988 at Atlantic Studios, New York City, New York. It reached number 21 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got Kip Winger on lead vocals, bass, keyboards, and string arrangements. Reb Beach on guitars and backing vocals. Paul Taylor on keyboards and backing vocals. And Rod Morgenstein on drums and backing vocals. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. Okay, it's time to dig in on a track-by-track -track analysis of this album. We lead off with Madeleine, written by Kip Winger and Reb Beach. How in the world could it come to this? Couldn't you see that you've gone too far? Saving your soul for that one last kiss. Living your wish upon a star. Madeleine, this is love too tough to take. Curtis, what do you think? <laughs> okay, every <laughs> every hair band needed what's known as a what's happening song to open the album. Uh, this is a fairly good one. Uh, it was also the first single from the album. There's probably other songs which could have been a better first single. But, you know, it is what it is. And uh, this was actually, as I understand it, one of the first songs Kip and Reb wrote together. And it was actually based on a handful of riffs that Reb created when he was younger that he finally crafted into a song. 
I like the acoustic intro. It's a nice way to open the song. Uh, opening the album this way kind of introduces the fact that there's actually a little more depth to this band, I think. And then there's a little reprise of uh, the acoustic section just before the final chorus at the end. But we have a nice transition to the opening riff. It's very pop metal sounding, very melodic. But then they change keys and go into the first verse and Reb's melody becomes very driving and much more hard rock. It's just really kind of in your face. Then we come to another key change when we get to the pre-chorus. And by the way, holy pre-chorus, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kip obviously loved pre-choruses because there's one in every song. But then we get to the chorus. It's it's okay. It's probably the least interesting thing in the song to me, although I do really like Kip's vocals. When we get to the guitar solo, uh, Reb does some nice little tapping at the beginning, and then the rest of the time, it's the solo itself is sort of a reprise of the opening riff with a few flourishes thrown in, but, but I think it's good. It's not my favorite song on the album, but I, I think it's a good way to start it. So, yeah, it's a great song. Mike? So if anybody out there hasn't heard this song in a while, or even not at all, listen to the song then watch the video because I hadn't listened to this in years. And the first thing that caught me by surprise was the thickness and almost, you can almost say crunch to the riff, um, which I was pleasantly surprised at. Kip has some great vocals. The drums and bass are good. It's got great production. I really like the solo as well. I think he hits with that flurry of notes and you think it's going to be like shredder vomit. And we're like, okay, here we go. But then he he um, I like how he brings back the riff before returning to the solo. So I'm, I'm all on board on that. And I really like the song all these years later, now that I can separate it from the video, because, Aaron, like you said at the beginning, that video was goofy as hell. <laughs> you know, the, the prancing, they shot him in profile singing the song a lot. The, that acoustic intro is shot from the inside of the inside of the guitar. And it was actually that image i think that hurt me on this band a lot because even when i saw him in concert i don't think he it was like he barely played a note he had that freaking headset on that he sang and he would just like pluck a note and pirouette and pluck a note and pirouette and even at like 14 15 i was like what the hell is this guy doing so the video i think really hurts this song because at its core i think this is a really good song and i think it's a good way to start the album lou uh, um, <laughs> man, you really get you really get hit right in the face with was once original in the early '80s to just overblown ridiculous excess in the later '80s. From that first girly scream that it, he does, you know exactly what's going to come at you: skin tight and hair high, wet as fuck, the digital reverb, uh, the scoop mids, no mids in the. The, those chugging it's the typical 80s riff too that that everybody latched onto by the end the the drums are huge um the call and response gang vocals are all represented in this tune uh i don't even care what he's saying because it, it it's not even looking at all right let's take a peek at, at the lyrics how in the world could it come to this? <laughs> Couldn't you see that you've gone too far? Saving your soul for one last kiss. Living your wish upon a star. No, I was right. I shouldn't have looked. <laughs> uh, you forgot the chorus, Lou. 
I'm not even going to work. Madeline. Well, we. I shouldn't look. <laughs> Red Beach rips out this beehive buzzsaw smoking finger solo guitar. It, it's technically incredible, but I'm so bored to death that it, you said it, Mike. Shredder vomit. It is shredder yeah. vomit. Um, it it just it sounds like static to me. The fade out just confirms what's his name Bow Hill. Oh yeah. 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 Yep. It's it just proves his ineptitude. The whole he, he sound of the all the song, rat albums. Yeah, he was What's the that? rat guru. He produced all the rat albums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he produced rat on this song. <laughs> um, the whole sound of this song is the reason why I hate production like this. And I blame like guys like this Bow Hill guy for perpetuate. Fuck him. Fuck Bow Hill. <laughs> <laughs> So after the brief acoustic guitar intro and Kip Winger yelling, yeah, the song kicks in and we hear a good hard rocking riff courtesy of Red Beach. Like Curtis said, he apparently brought the riff with him to the band and he and Kip fleshed it out to write this tune. There's also a nice higher melodic guitar lick over the top that signals the chorus vocal to come. And Beach shows off his shredding chops on the solo. We've all said this. And he combines it with some melodic runs that blend well together. He does a pretty good job. I like it. I like what he's doing here. Kip Winger himself on bass is not showy at all, just mostly root notes. And the production, like Lou said, it doesn't emphasize the bottom end anyway. I mean, this is Bo Hill. He was known as the hair metal producer, and the sound is very bright, favoring heavily the treble. Now, Rod Morgenstein on drums is interesting, though. I don't know how they fucking got this guy. He played with the frickin' Dixie Dregs, for fuck's sake, for years. Yep. So he had a jazz fusion background. He's, like, slumming it to play with his band. Maybe he wanted to pull chicks or something. I don't know. But he's way overqualified for this music. Kip Winger's voice is fine. I, I don't think it's very distinctive compared to other hair metal singers. But he can hit some high notes, and it sounds clean, even when he tries to do some growly notes. But he can carry a tune, and I don't dislike his singing, but it's easy to see <laughs> what his appeal is. Lyrically, Kip is into Madeleine, a lost soul in pain who apparently had a hard pass, but she's so hot, Kip don't give a fuck. He still wants her, despite the warning signs. The chorus is catchy. It does exactly what you want a hair metal tune to do, and I do dig this track. This was the first single from the album that reached number 27 on the U.S. Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. The next track is Hungry, written by Kip Winger and Reb Beach. Mike, how about this one? So this one is a little bit different for me. At its core, this riff doesn't really sound that different from Madeleine. The tempo is just a bit slower. Um, I do like the little stutter the band is doing underneath the first verse. And I don't know if that's a, actually a guitar solo or is he just like playing a lead with without letting go of the whammy bar? I don't know if he forgot. 
but then we go just to the riff, which I, I think I, I think everybody that listens knows. I've, I think I document that on every single uh, episode I do, but the, um, this riff isn't strong enough to leave the riff solo like that. It's just not strong enough for it. And where I was pleasantly surprised by Madeline repeated listens of this over the week when I first heard it, I was like, Oh, this isn't bad. And then it set in. And as I listened to it again and again, I was like, now I know why I stayed away. So I don't mind the production as much on this one as Lou does, but the song itself, this one is eh for me. Lou. Kipster arranged the strings in the, in this tune. Do you hear the strings in the, like, well, obviously in the beginning, but do you hear the strings underneath everything in the, the meat of the song? It's there's strings through, you know, throughout almost this whole thing. He arranged all of that. He is a, a trained musician. He's a talented musician and there's flashes of talent all through this record. I will, I will cop to that. Um, but it's all stifled and held back by this ridiculous production sheen and like silly blue pill songwriting, more gang vocals, shouted chorus underneath, um, the, the strings add to the song's value and they, they, they're not far up in the mix. That's reserved for Reb's horrible guitar tone and overall reverb of the track. It, it almost ends perfectly. Uh, it just cuts off. <laughs> it, it, could have been better only if it cut off in the middle of a word like hug. <laughs> it's exactly what it would have sounded like in my player as I hit next. If it, it, it went on any longer. It, it sounds like docking this one. <laughs> Curtis. Yeah, I, I really like this song. It was the fourth single. The B side of the single is a, is a little bit better song in my opinion, but we'll get to that later. I really like the symphonic intro. Uh, interesting story about Kip. I See, I didn't know all this about Kip when I first got into the band, but he was classically trained, and he was uh, like a ballet dancer or something, and he used to hear all this classical music when he was a ballet dancer. And he actually went on to compose a symphony in 2009. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, there's really a lot of depth to this guy. But the intro to the song is... You know, very progressive, I guess, for a, for a metal band. And uh, this isn't your typical metal band, even though they have the look. Now, I have to say I was shocked upon re-listening to this song because I discovered that it's mostly pre-chorus, chorus, and bridge sections. There's actually only one verse section. And I love Reb's little flourish at the end of each verse in that one verse section, that down, 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 down. I like that. And... I like how the pre-chorus goes up in key a couple of times to cleverly build up to the chorus. And uh, the chorus itself is nice, too. And uh, I'm going to disagree a little bit with uh, Rock and Mike on the little bridge before the solo. It's, uh, but it, I, I like that a good bit. It's, it's about the same length as the pre-chorus, but it stays in the same key and has different lyrics. As for Reb's solo, it's surprisingly short. Then that section right after the solo, I really like that with the building keyboard and guitar harmony. I think that's what you were talking about, uh, Lou, with the uh, with it sounds like there's strings with the guitar playing. Uh, that da 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 that 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 thing. I like I like that a lot. And then it ends again with that aforementioned flourish on the verse section. That then Reb and Rod have a nice little moment alone in a short section just before we head back into the chorus. 
the video for this song is pretty cool. It's it's not quite as uh, it actually kind of tells a story. It's not quite as uh, you know just a performance video as the other two are. It tells a story about a guy who loses his newlywed wife in a car accident. It's not your typical sex, drugs, and rock and roll song. Uh, I really like it. It's I think it's a really good song. So who needs acoustic guitars when you can have a whole string section intro? I mean, I'm not sure what this does exactly for the song, but hey, if, I guess if you, if you can afford it, why not? It takes us to a slow-ish rocker with some nice choppy riffing and high background keyboard atmospherics. There's big gang vocals on the catchy hungry chorus, and Kip sings it like he really means it. He's missing his girl so much he's starving for love. Though with his looks, especially at the time, I have a hard time believing this guy had trouble finding someone to love him. The strings dramatically return in the instrumental break that Curtis imitated. And there's the acoustic guitar. I knew we had it coming somewhere. The video, like we said, it ups the emotional weight even more by showing a guy who loses his newlywed bride in a car wreck. It was popular at the time. This is a solid second track, and it was the fourth and final single that reached number 85 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The following track is 17, written by Kip Winger, Reb Beach, and Bo Hill. You like this one? I'm only 17, <laughs> but I'll show you love like you never seen. 17. She's <laughs> only 17. Daddy says she's too young, but she's old enough for me. She's old enough to pee. She's old enough for me. Big or small. Thick or thin, Vaseline, it gets it in. <laughs> <laughs> the views of Lou Figaro are not in <laughs> accordance to ridiculous rock records or any of their views. Yes, it is. Please, <laughs> Please listen with caution. Here's another stab at hair metal hit making. The chugging diver downy kind of rhythm, the gang vocals with a shouting chorus, the buzzing electric drill dildo fingering so guitar solo, and glorified child rape. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to sound like Zeppelin here, if they were rat. <laughs> Think about it. That cheap Zeppelin kind of crunge verse phrasing ripoff that only just insults me further. I want to tell you about my good friend, and I ain't disclosing no names, but he sure is a good friend, and right? It's the same Fucking, you know, I mean, I guess it's the tip of a hat, but 
Come on, Kip. <laughs> By the way, you sound like rat. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis. Wow, kind of hard to follow that. Um, <laughs> you got to sing buddy. the next verse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of creepy that Kip was 27 when this album came out and he's singing about a 17-year-old girl. Uh, I guess this is kind of Winger's version of Christine 16 by Kiss. Uh, supposedly, you know, I, I, Kip was trying to do some damage control about this and <laughs> he claimed he took inspiration from a Beatles song. Uh, I saw her standing there, and uh, apparently there's some talk about a 17-year-old in that. The very first line of the song. Song, yeah. <laughs> she was just 17, yep. you know 17. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, he's, and then he went on to say he wasn't aware that it was illegal for an adult to have sexual relations with a 17-year-old. And then he also claimed he never had sex with a 17-year-old after the age of 21. So, hey, kudos to you, Kip. <laughs> Atta boy. But... Uh, yeah. But anyway, second single from the album, uh, the music video again for this song is, is just a bit ridiculous. It's just the band on a stage and Kip doesn't even play his bass on this song, uh, on the video. He's just basically showing off his ballet moves. <laughs> and, uh, so it, from that standpoint, it's, you know, it was really just to, to draw the chicks in, I think. Musically, however, though, I do like the song. It's an interesting, it's a very interesting time signature on the verses. Reb's definitely no Malcolm Young. He's definitely very progressive in his riffs in the verses and in the chorus. Uh, the pre-chorus sections are probably the least progressive parts. They sound the most like what a typical metal band of the time would do. Guitar solo's good. The riff under the ending part of the solo was interesting. And then the bridge section just before the last verse and the chorus is really cool. So, yeah, it's a really good progressive metal song, creepiness notwithstanding. Rock and Mike. So I'm with Curtis on this one. Um, this one's a, a tale of two songs. Without the lyrics, greatly. I like the lead work a lot. I like the transitions the band does from the verse to the chorus. I like how the solo builds from melodic to shred while still fitting the framework of the song. It, it's honestly just a good melodic rock song with strong lead work. I will, I, I have a hard time calling winger metal. Um, obviously where everybody's talking about lyrically, this is a dumpster fire. Even at 14, when this came out, my friends and I were singing, she's only 63. Um, <laughs> and we even thought it was creepy back then. Um, I do have to give a shout out to a friend of mine from high school. Her name is Christina. She doesn't know. I, I'm not using her last name. She loved Winger, and we gave her so much crap for that. Ray Z, myself, another friend of mine, Dennis, um, especially when he did that You're Sexing Me song with Fiona. Oh. Um, oh, my God. We gave her so much crap, and she was always such a good sport about it. Um, to this day, if I see something Winger, I still tag her in it on Facebook. So she's, uh, she's a very good sport. When I was writing my notes for this, my grandson climbed up on my lap, my oldest grandson, and he's 20 months old. And my daughter said, so is this a good song, Max, or is it dull? And he looked up at me and he went, dull. Um, so <laughs> I'm not as harsh as Max. Um, I, I don't mind the song. The lyrics, I can't stand. From the mouths of babes. <laughs> Rock and Mike, I sincerely hope that you called that girl Christina Sixtina. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I, I didn't. He, um, I, it was it was a missed opportunity. 
I'll be dipped if I wasn't singing it when I woke up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because my, my wife's name is Christine, and we started dating in, in 2016. So that's my nickname for her, Christine 16. Oh, and, that's perfect. Uh, Oh, I bet yeah, she loves that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, she she kind of she kind of rolls her eyes. I remember I told uh, Stephen Michael over at growing um, a podcast about it, and he said, "Oh, well, that's kind of cool and kind of creepy at the same time." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think if you take Christine sixteen, you take seventeen, and then Extreme has that song "Little Girls." Mm-hmm. Those are like. I'm sure there's more that I can't think of right now, but you know, yeah. you could do a compilation of, of creepy songs. A few by motorhead. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. There is a motorhead one too. Yep. Reb beach. He was a champ at coming up with these staccato rock riffs. This is another good one that he initially wrote when he was 15. And it instantly draws me in when I hear it and his solo begins melodically and switches up to out and out shredding. I dig his solo constructions. And his guitars got a sweet-sounding pop metal tone that was popular at the time. I liked it. So, okay, it's time for me to address the elephant in the room. When this record came out in 1988, I was 18 years old. So, hell yeah, she's only 17. Fuck yeah. (laughs) I loved it. 51-year-old me cringes at these lyrics. But, man, it really was also a product of the times. I know it's a, a bad excuse, but it really was. Kip claimed he didn't realize his 17 was below the legal age of consent when he wrote it. Curtis went through the details of all that shit. Beatles, I saw, are standing there. He claimed he never banged a chick younger than 18 after he turned 21. Sure, Kip. You are the complete <laughs> exception to the rock star's fucking underage girls phenomenon. I mean, you name your favorite rock star. They banged underage girls back then. They did. I Boy, bet, George didn't. Well, Yeah. i bet kip checked the idea of every potential conquest after he turned 21 you don't mean it when you sing daddy says she's too young but she's old enough for me all that shit aside i'm not gonna lie i still dig the song it's a great hair metal track the video got tons of airplay although i thought it was fucking stupid and it was the second single that reached number 26 on the billboard hot 100 chart this might be their signature song isn't it pretty much yeah, they they actually stopped playing it for a while uh, because I guess because of the creepiness of it, and finally they yep. just said, "Screw it, we're going to do it." So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're back to doing it. Yeah, they're back to doing it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now they're like, "She's only forty three. <laughs> Daddy said she's too old." <laughs> <laughs> No, it's Jun- Junior says she's too old. Junior says yeah. she's too old. She's young enough for me. <laughs> she just put in her teeth. <laughs> the next track is Without the Night, written by Kip Winger, Reb Beach, and Paul Taylor.
Curtis, lead us off. Okay, this is uh, the first deep track on the album, and of course it's a ballad, and I think they wrote this thinking that it would possibly become a single. Uh, this is easily something Bon Jovi could have recorded. To me, it's just okay. I don't hate it. Uh, the musicianship is good. It's not the worst song on the album, but it's just a little boring to me. It just makes me yawn a little bit. So that's all I got to say about it. Rock and Mike. So I'm going to disagree with Curtis. So we got the first ballad, straight 80s pop, just disguised as metal. And I'm throwing up some air quotes there. This is kind of the opposite of Hungry for me, because where Hungry got worse with more listens, I actually started to like this a little bit more uh, over the course of the week. That hooky harmonized chorus, I like the solo. It might just be the nostalgia, because you got those memories of slow dancing at dances, and then you're awkward, are awkwardly trying to hide the fact that you've got a chubby, and you got to like bend your hips away as you're dancing. <laughs> you don't want the girl to feel it. But I think once you get past the, hey, this isn't metal phase of your life, you can appreciate this for what it is. It's just it's just a pop ballad. Um, I don't know how often I'll come back to it, but I actually found myself enjoying this. So I like this one. Lou? Yeah. Um, this starts <laughs> out like some sappy 80s family TV show theme. It's got wet as fuck prom ballad keyboards that slide it, it slides into a fucking power ballad. This is what happens when you let the keyboard player write a song with you. <laughs> <laughs> it winds up sounding like there should be smoke and disco ball lighting. Mm -hmm. Have I ever told you how much I fucking hate power ballads? <laughs> I know. I know they got to do them if they want girls at the show. But, you know, I should have taken this as a red flag. And that whole concept as a red flag. This is torture. Holy crap. This is hard to listen to. I seriously want to take Reb's guitar and just take it away from him and start swinging it at him during his fucking solo and hitting him in the balls with it. Beavis and Butthead didn't kill these guys career. It was shit like this. It fucking sucks. These guys are snorting Paul Stanley's estrogen pills on this one. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to get some forever mojo here. Forever. <laughs> no, you're not going to do it. That was fucking years before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is the first of the two power ballads, and it's got a very layered keyboard presence that drives the track, which I'm sure is Paul Taylor's contribution to this. Beach's guitar takes a back seat in the main body of the song, providing some background crunch. He does take the spotlight on the solo, and he turns in a slowly developing melodic piece that plays into the dreamy, chick-friendly vibe of the track. And oh yeah, this is designed to attract the female of the species. Kip throws in some delicate vocal pleading, and it sounds like his poor little heart is breaking. When the night comes, he's reminded of the pain of a past relationship, and he's struggling. He's not that tough. Come on, he's sensitive. He's had ballet training. Have you seen him pirouette with his bass strapped over his shoulder? Come on, girl, he's poetry in motion. I actually like a good power ballad, unlike Lou, and this has another big chorus. It's okay. I'm kind of with Curtis on that. It doesn't really stand out to my ears, but it's listenable if you like 80s pop metal stuff. The following track is Purple Haze, written by Jimi Hendrix. Purple Haze, all in my brain. Lately, things don't seem the same. Acting funny, 
Mike, start us off with this. All right. So I've got my notebook. You can hear the paper. So I'm going to start reading my notes right now. So this is what I have. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I've only got I, I do have something something that goes along with so when I was in when I was in uh, college I had a radio show and this album was in there and everybody would write recommendations on like masking tape and stick it to the front of the sleeve. And the only thing it said on the sleeve for this record is you play Purple Haze, you will lose your show. <laughs> they, they literally would take your show from you and be like, yeah, yeah, you're canceled if you play Purple Haze. The thing that I found out this week that I didn't realize, and it makes me even hate this version even more, is that the left channel solo is Dweezil Zappa. Uh, like, that just breaks my heart to know that because he also owns the guitar that Hendrix burned at the Monterey Pop. And in my head, if he is using that fucking guitar to destroy this song, I got to rethink Dweezil, man, because, oh, my God, this song sucks. I shouldn't say the songs. This version is awful. I would listen to Ozzy's version of this before this ever again. And that's hideous, too. That's awful. I like Devo's version. <laughs> that I would listen to. <laughs> Lou, why is Mike wrong? He's not. <laughs> this isn't really happening, is it? <laughs> I don't know what I hate more, the the ridiculously over-thirsty vocal delivery that he has, that or that Adderall ADHD production that's fucking the blatant disrespect to the greatest guitarist of all time or space. No, <laughs> no. It's that chugging typical 80s rhythm shoehorned in instead of the fucking actual riff. Fuck these guys. Fuck these guys. All I hear in the solo is wanking, 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 wanking. <laughs> they ain't a pimple on the ass of the late, great Jimmy fucking Hendrix. I, I, I got nothing else to say about this. I, I, shame on them. Curtis, why is Mike and Lou wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the Barney Filler track for me. Um, yeah, this was a big mistake. I mean, the band had plenty of original material, so this was really just unnecessary. My guess is that there was some record executives sitting around a table smoking big cigars uh, saying, yeah, this what this band needs, their you know, brand new band, what they need is a cover song. We need to, they, how about Purple Haze? Yeah, we'll do Purple Haze. Yeah, big mistake. They, they, the band really did their best, I guess, to make the song their own, to make it very proggy. The problem is it's a Jimi Hendrix song. <laughs> and if you're going to cover Jimi Hendrix, you'd better be someone like Stevie Ray Vaughan, or it's not going to be that great. <laughs> uh, shout out to... Davy Lee Smith. That being said, uh, the most interesting part of the song to me is the coda section at the end. Well, of course, I repeat myself, coda section at the end, <laughs> with the guitar battle between Red Beach and uh, guest guitarist Weasel Zappa, as Rock and Mike mentioned. The, the riff under their soloing is kind of catchy, too, but again, it, it shouldn't have been in this song. Uh, the rest of it's just meh. So, next song, please. Nope. Nope. 
No, 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 no. How fucking dare you, Kip Winger. Quick, somebody get me some darts so I can throw them at his fucking picture. And Dweezil Zappa's on this too? Dweezil, what the fuck were you thinking? Fuck off with this. It's blasphemy. It's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on State of Emergency, written by Kip Winger and Paul Taylor. thoughts i'm running out of things to shit on with these guys (laughs) (laughs) it's all more of the same though i i like this riff a little better but they continue to to do the same stereotypical shit that turned me off to this genre that i used to enjoy a whole lot there's nothing original about it everything here i've heard before for years already rat docking this is def leopard all over this one with docking backing it up Again, it's checking all the boxes for what we're expecting here. The overprocessed guitar riff, check. Verses about girl problems, check. Uh, one word shouted, shouted chorus, check. Soulless 218 per, note per second solo, check. Back into the chorus and fade out. <laughs> Curtis. Okay. Uh, this song has a weird unnecessary keyboard intro. Uh, don't quite know what they were driving at there. The song itself is probably the most progressive one since 17, which we heard earlier. Uh, goes into a nice little driving riff by Reb, and then the opening verses are okay. Now, the pre-chorus to me is a bit odd. Uh, it just feels to me like it's just kind of thrown together. Vocals seem a bit forced. I don't know what it is. They just don't seem to fit. Maybe if the pre-chorus had been structured different, it would have been better. Uh, The chorus redeems the song a little bit after the pre-chorus, but not by much. That being said, I liked the little bridge just before the guitar solo, the dun, 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 dun. I, I like that a little bit. But, you know, again, it's not a terrible song, but it's definitely not the best one on the album. Uh, that one is coming up. Mike. So that keyboard intro, I don't mind. It reminds me of Nightmare on Elm Street. Other than that, this is just uh, keyboard-heavy meh. Uh, So I like in this song, this song is a plain tortilla chip. Ultimately, it's not the chip, but the salsa that makes it good. Plain tortilla chips are sold in different shapes to satisfy our salsa scooping needs, not our chip needs. They have the framework of the song, which is the tortilla chip, but they never added the freaking salsa. Now I've increased my sodium intake for nothing. <laughs> chip winger. <laughs> oh, man. How did oh, I not right think of there. that? Oh, my God. I can't believe I didn't think of that one. <laughs> now there's a T-shirt. <laughs> That's it's right. Tortilla kip. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we get a moody keyboard intro that's got some eerie voice patches and it sets up another plodding rocker that has a decent guitar riff augmented with the keys and the verses as well as the build up through the pre-chorus that opens up on the big emergency chorus. The band sticks to the hair metal songwriting formula, kind of like what Lou was alluding to. And the lyrics also stick to the tried and true. Kip's a rough boy. He never breaks down until the pre-chorus where she's breaking him down. And he's done when he sees her face. The love is so intense it puts him in a state of emergency. Take a cold shower, Kip. That might help. Beach gets in a quick harmonized solo and he's more than competent. This is 80s pop metal 101. That's exactly what Louis said. It doesn't grab me like the earlier tracks do, but it doesn't offend me either. It's decent. The next track is Time to Surrender, written by Kip Winger and Reb Beach. Curtis, what do you say? Okay, I'm glad I'm going first on this one <laughs> because I fucking love this song. It's probably, and, and ironically, it's probably the most 80s hairband-like song on the album, and that's probably why I like it so much. Plus, it's a breakup song, and I'm kind of a sucker for those kind of songs. Uh, this, along with Yes's Changes from the 90125 album, make up my favorite breakup songs and actually the song walking away by information society is pretty good too. And boy, I just really uh, revealed my eclectic taste in music there. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the opening riff and the riff on the verses sounds not surprisingly very Warren D Martini rat like uh, tipping my hat to Lou there. I absolutely love the pre-chorus. Whatever Reb is doing with his guitar there is magnificent. Uh, I'm not sure Warren D. Martini could pull off exactly what he's doing there in that exact faction. That it, there's that da 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 I can't do it any justice. If uh, Ray Z was here, I'm sure he could. But um, anyway, the lyrics on the pre-chorus are just killer to me. Hey, you, what you trying to prove? I won't play your game and I won't play your fool. Hey, you, best be making your move play your last hand, better understand, now it's time to surrender. And uh, I actually like Kip's screams on the chorus, the yeah, yeah, and uh, goes on to say, because my love don't live here anymore. Uh, the little bridge section just before the solo sounds kind of like something that would play in a movie to an army marching or something. But then we go into the killer guitar solo by Reb. The only thing I don't like about it is, is it's very short. And then we go back into the pre-chorus again with some alternative lyrics. And I don't like those lyrics as much as the previous ones. They seem a little forced, but I'll give Kip a pass on that because the rest of the, the, rest of the song to me is just so, so good. Then we end on the chorus a few times with a fade out. And I think that this song really should have been a single. I just like every part of, of the song, unlike uh, uh, most of the other songs on the album. 
a funny story about this song. When I was, uh, I mentioned that I saw a winger at eighties in the sand in the Dominican Republic back in 2017. And I actually scored a meet and greet with him. And I actually got to meet Kip Reb and their most recent backup guitarist. Who's this guy named John Roth. And actually Roth's involvement, uh, Roth's current involvement in the band was a lot of the reason that Winger was at that event because he also plays in Starship with Mickey Thomas, and he does all the what's what was uh, Starship's guitarist name uh, Craig Chiquito is that his name? He he does all of you know Craig's guitar parts for uh, uh, Starship, and anyway they were at the event too, so it was kind of uh, you know he, he, since he plays with both bands it made sense for both of them to be there. Anyway. At 80s in the Sand, they have these theme nights, and the theme night for that night was 80s movies. So I walk into the meet and greet with Winger, dressed up as Mike Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and uh, nice. you know they look at me and they don't know what to think, you know. And I came in and just yelled, "Time to surrender!" And they all smiled. And Kip Kip laughed a little bit and said, "Yeah, man, we're gonna play it for you here in a little while." <laughs> and I, I don't know. I just always remembered that. I just thought that was kind of cool. But uh, I actually brought my Winger uh, album. I didn't have uh, Winger on LP. I had uh, the the CD at the time, and uh, I brought the insert, hoping they would sign it. But unfortunately, they weren't doing any signing. So I just held it up as the photographer took the photo, took my photo with the band. So that was pretty cool. But uh, you know, Kip said to me, "Yep, we're going to play it." So I was excited. Rockin' Mike. Okay. So I don't know if this is a purple haze hangover or what, but I really couldn't think of anything to say because at this point I'm getting frustrated with the record. Um, they're such good musicians, and I, I can't I can't overstate how how good I think they are as players. I mean, their drummer taught at Berkeley. He was in the Dixie Dregs, as we talked about earlier. He's in the Jelly Jam with Ty Tabor from King's X and John Young from Dream Theater. Kip played on one of my favorite Alice Cooper records of all time. Raise your fist and yell. Reb Beach is a monster. He's played on. He's played with everyone from Shaka Khan to Roger Daltrey. Um, Roger Daltrey's version of "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me" from the Lost Boys soundtrack. That's Reb Beach on guitar on that track, and he's played with Alice Cooper and so many more. And this is for me. It was just catchy sing along kind of. I've kind of forgot about it. And I, like I said, I think Purple Haze was put in as a warning for the rest of the album, because I do like the first part of this album. I thought it started strong and now I'm struggling a bit. Lou. Kipster's done. It's time to give it up. His love don't live here anymore. This is my other problem with this shit. It, everything's always a battle a head game. Nobody's got a normal fucking relationship. Everything's always lies and cries and fights and surrendering. It, doesn't sound like any fun at all. I'd leave too, man. That's the difference between you and Motley Crue, though, isn't it, Kipster? They shouted at the devil and you shouted at your girlfriend. Um, this is rad again. I like this one better immediately. The riff is tougher and ballsier, and the band just plain rocks harder than the last track. I mean, you can tell this was written by Winger and Beach, and I kind of seem to favor those songs more than the ones Taylor is involved in. This got a nice, catchy, hey, you, pre-chorus that Curtis talked about, and the chorus, once again, is shouting out the song title, which is totally a pop metal cliche. 
The breakdown and solo section has a new chugging riff that I dig. Curtis also brought that up. And even Morgenstein gets to play a couple of fills while Beach gets a short solo and adds additional fills to cap the track off. Aw, oh, shit. More girl troubles for our boy. She's playing them. He's sick of her games and being her fool. He tries to get away from her, but she's got that Venus flytrap of a pussy that breaks him down again and keeps <laughs> bringing him back night after night. This is a solid track. I dig this one. I'm on Team Curtis. The following track is Poison Angel, written by Kip Winger and Reb Beach. Mike, what do you think? All right. So this one's got a cool start and stop riff that I like. And did, uh, did I just hear the plunk of a bass? <laughs> so I, I was happy about that. This I like, but I wish it was snottier. Kip is too nice. You know, it's got the framework to be just like this really snotty, dirty, sleazy song. Uh, but it, it just kind of falls short of that mark. Almost sounds like Reb is guitarmonizing with himself as the riff plays it underneath. Now, I know when I was, you know, like, 14 when this came out, you know, my mom always accused me of guitar harmonizing with myself. So I don't know quite what Reb is <laughs> doing there. Um, but I'm indifferent at this point, but the album is definitely trending up for me. Lou. I suppose by this time, 1988, uh, this is what was getting signed. So why not write to your demo? Except this is what the record companies wanted. We were all looking for something else by this point. Um, the guitar solo in the intro proves it. It's It just all sounds the same. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of trying to say, all right, well, maybe it was just the genre. Maybe it was like if you if you look at blues, right, and you just think of blues and, you know, it's don't, I don't know, you know, or whatever they're doing is the same, port, you know, so they all sounded like they were doing the same song. These guys sound like they're doing the same song. I guess a lot of Johnny Cash songs all sound the same, too. No. No, that's nothing like this. <laughs> um, it's just more filler. This time he's got his poison angel, the familiar face from his past. They broke up, and he doesn't seem to be over it, hence he's writing songs about it. Reb delivers another buzz-tastic lead, um, and all of this is blending into the same song for a whole era. It seems like Curtis. Wow. Holy fast tempo, Batman. <laughs> you know, on this song, Reb really isn't given a lot to do on the song outside of his blistering guitar solo. He's basically just playing a lot of power chords with a few flourishes on the verses. And uh, the pre-chorus has a catchy little riff on it and the ending's kind of cool, but I'd have to say, all in all, I'm going to agree a little bit with Lou on this one. Uh, although Purple Haze was my real Barney filler track of the album, this one has filler written all over it also. Well, the tempo's faster, but it uh, I'm going to agree with everybody. It's more of the same. 
a hair metal riff rocker that doesn't have any more personality than anything else we've heard, except that Beach rips out some cool whammy bar leads and the solo's a bit tastier in an 80s shredder kind of way. But the song itself checks all the boxes again, bland verses that only serve you to get to the you were so shy, yai, yai, yai pre-choruses and huge <laughs> reverbed gang vocals on the song title choruses. And lyrically, we're treading the same territory. Bet you can't guess what this song's about. Bitch, it's fucking with poor Kip again. This poor bastard can't catch a break. I don't know. The winger formula is starting to wear on me by this point. I am sliding ever so slowly into Camp Lou. I could give a fuck about this track, really. The penultimate track is Hanging On, written by Kip Winger, Reb Beach, and Bo Hill. shitty rat song from the third or fourth album after the coke ran out <laughs> it's just not fair the shit's not over yet keep me hanging on yeah waiting for this to be over <laughs> and then the fade out fucking fades out <laughs> i'm done <laughs> i was gonna bet my house that lou is gonna say i'm just hanging out <laughs> This shit's over. I knew he was gonna say that. I knew that was coming. Curtis, why is he wrong? <laughs> Here's my penultimate beer for the night. Um, I kind of like this one. Uh, I kind of enjoy the harmonized plucking ribs doing in the intro and later in the song. And I think the riff on the vocals on the verses is really good. But yet, once again, the vocals on the pre-chorus seem a little bit forced, and it's just a little boring to me. The guitar solo's not Reb's best, but it's, it's interesting. That being said, I like that little flourish he does at the end, that do-do-do-do-do-do-do. But then as it fades out, it's kind of all over the place with the drums. I don't know what's going on there, but um, I mean, I, I like the song, but it... it it's not their best. Rock and Mike. So the cheese stands alone on this one. I actually don't mind the opening part that Lou did so well. Um, <laughs> they're a little bit they're a little bit proggier on this, which I think is the direction I kind of wish the band to go in. Uh, um, trying to go prog but stay glam at the same time on this track, and I feel like they're conflicted. Just go with it. Go. You, you, you're not going to be Rush. You're not going to be Dream Theater. But if you have the talent show the talent show it my only problem with this song is it is never good when the producer gets a writing credit that is a red freaking flag right there so that's really about it or if jesse harms writes it <laughs> exactly you know what i wouldn't i wouldn't mind seeing his flourishes on this <laughs> I, you know 
So that Reb Beach intro guitar lick reminds me a little bit of the beginning of uh, Bad Boys Running Wild by the Scorpions. And then it takes us to a staccato intro riff that sounds cool, almost, dare I say, Van Halen-esque, and I'm interested. Then it transitions to the same old shit we've been getting, especially all of side two. A hair metal riff rocker that sounds like it came straight off a factory line. And look, I like Red Beach as a player. There are some talented musicians in this band. We've said this. But fuck, they're rewriting the same song over and over, musically and lyrically. Yeah, Kip still wants the girl. He's burning for her. He can't let go. She's refusing to see him. Blah, blah, blah. And I think, for me, part of the problem I'm realizing by this point is Kip's voice. He's not a bad singer. He can hit the notes. But he's not distinctive enough. I'm not getting any personality from him, especially in his early career. I mean, hell, even Brett fucking Michaels had a more developed vocal style at the time. Now, to be clear, I don't despise this. It just kind of makes me shrug my shoulders. Oh, hey, Lou, I like it over here. And that brings us to the final track, Headed for a Heartbreak, written by Kip Winger. Curtis, how about this last one? Yeah, you were here when I came. <laughs> that's pretty gross, Kip. Wow, that scared um, me. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I like this song. Uh, I actually like it quite a bit. I, I never get tired of it. Uh, this is the only song uh, wherein Kip has the sole writing credit. And he also plays keyboards on this, as I understand it. Uh, he proves that he can sing in a quiet tone and then go into full heavy metal mode. Uh, it's definitely a hit power ballad. and uh, But I'd have to say the arrangement does have some progressiveness to it. And Rod Morgenstein's drumming is not your simple run-of-the-mill heavy metal drumming, that's for sure. Uh, Reb's solo is absolutely beautiful, I think. And uh, on the outro solo, he took some cues from Eddie Van Halen's Cathedral, using the volume control and everything. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great song. It was a big time hit for them, and there was a music video for it, and it did really well. And I and I really like it. I really dig it. Rock and Mike, they're going to end with a ballad. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm so confused at this point, you know, they, the CD had an 11th track higher and higher, how that track didn't replace purple haze. I, 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 I've got so questions. I just don't, I don't know. Um, that doesn't make any say, sense. It, it, this is a bold choice. And all I, all I can think of is, uh, oh, was that MOD song? Uh, anyway, I lost it. But anyhow, Billy Milano is a bold and exciting man. Anyhow, if you listen to MOD, I actually love MOD to these guys. I, I was really waiting for him. <laughs> it was the word bold. There's a MOD song where he's like, he is, he is. Yes, yes, he is talking about Billy Milano. Anyhow, I digress. Um, 
But it's weird that a ballad is the angriest on the entire record. I was here. Like, I, dude, where was that? If you were here, where was it? Because that anger, channel it, dude. Channel it. So, um, but I, I just think that's funny. I, I do like the solo. Um, it has some cool pause. He builds it up and he hands it back to the chorus. Um, now it's a ballad and it's a single, so they hit you really heavy with the chorus. But the, the redeeming part of the song for me is that last minute 30. I actually like the lead work and the way that fades out. So I, I, I don't mind that part of the song. And um, it actually ends, the last minute and a half ends on an enjoyable note for me. Low. Uh, Red Beach plays for Whitesnake now, right? Yes. He has for yeah. almost 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I can't stand them anymore. <laughs> Um, <laughs> everything I hate about him is amplified in this tune. The, that off kilter phrasing, the weird scale that he pulled, he pulls off later on in that last minute and a half. He's just running up and down. It's lightning fast, but it's just completely soulless. It, it almost sounds like he's, he's ignoring the song and just warming up in the next room. Uh, he's, he's playing fast for playing fast sake and, it's without any regard to what's going on, on in the song. I just, I think my problem with him is I just hate what he represents that hired gun guitarist that'll flatten you technically, but has the feel and soul of a piece of glass. Um, Tommy Thayer <laughs> combine that with the, the Bow Hills corporate this is the way they want it today record company production and it's enough to just turn my insides i it, again this it, it's a no for me dog so this is the other power ballad on the album and to my ears it's far superior to without the night to me this is how you do a hair metal ballad the keyboards and the guitar have a good balance between them neither is drowning out the other and they're working together to make the sound huge and dramatic also aided by the production this song also does a smart trick with the vocals kip's voice starts soft on the verses gains an intensity as it goes along that curtis scared the shit out of me with <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of growls the words and then it takes off in the soaring chorus that yes does repeat the song title again but it's better executed it's memorable it sticks with you the keyboards add to the heightened drama and it all builds to that extended outro section where Morgenstein gets to release some pent up frustration and Beach has a lot of room to solo though to my ears he makes some odd choices he uses like these clipped high note phrases where it sounds like he's trying to imitate someone crying, especially in the beginning of it, like, it's weird. I mean, maybe he's trying to play for the song or something, but dude, come on, let it rip. You don't get chances like this too often on record. You get these many bars to solo. You know, show us what you got. He kind of does it later on, the shit that Lou doesn't like. But, you know, that's what a, a hair metal shredder is supposed to do. You know, I, I do like what he does with it later on. It just starts really odd. And holy shitballs, Batman, this time Kip's the one walking away. He's out of there. He's got to ramble, and she ain't part of his plan. Don't wait up for him. He won't be coming home. It's a twist on all the she done me wrong and I'm sad stuff we've heard the entire record. I dig this. It's a fitting album closer. You can tell they put the time in on this one. They knew it had hit potential, and it was, moderately, reaching number 19 on the Billboard Hot 100. 
Now that the track by track is completed, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which burns in the fire pits of hair metal hell. <laughs> Curtis, give us your final thoughts on Winger's first record. Well, as I said, I purchased this album in 1988, and honestly, at the time, they never. They didn't really stay on my radar uh, after that uh, until I saw them a few years ago in concert. And, and then I revisited this album and also went elsewhere in their catalog. And I think that their most recent albums are are really good as well. But uh, I'd have to say this is still my favorite of all of their albums. And as I said, Kip Winger, you know, you wouldn't know it by seeing him on MTV, but there really is a lot uh, behind this guy as far as, uh, his training. And like I said, he, he wrote a symphony for crying out loud. He's not just a hair metal guy. And so, uh, I'd have to say that I would give this album, I'd have to give it a 3.7 out of five, mainly because of purple haze being on there. Uh, I just, I just think that that was a big, big mistake. My top, Three songs on the album uh, are Hungry, Headed for a Heartbreak, and my number one is Time to Surrender. Rockin' Mike. All right. So I, I, I was so torn when I listened to this again. It literally had been years since I listened to this record all the way through. And my thing, it's really two albums, and it's really indicative. Everything that came after Purple Haze, with the exception of Headed for a Heartbreak, I really struggled with. It could have been a solid glam metal album. I mean, you know what you're going to get. We weren't surprised. But there is such a dip in quality starting with, well, Purple Haze jumped off the fucking cliff. But the, every, And then they're trying to build back up, but it was just a hard climb. For me, I, I'm going to say it's like a 2.5 for me. Um, I really wanted to give it a 3, and as the day was going on, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I cannot do it. Lou. Well, this is what was wrong with music back in 1988. The record companies saw bands like Van Halen and Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Queensryche, Wasp even. They wanted that Def Leppard money. Uh, they wanted the Motley Crue money. So they signed a bunch of bands that had the look. And a lot of them, like Winger, were session musicians. So they had the chops. They had awesome chops. I'm not denying these guys that they could play technically, but they, they just had no soul. They had no, this band does not swing. It was all technical ability. It was all production. It was geared towards the dumbest common denominator to sell CDs, tickets, t-shirts, and beer. Um, I give it a, a one, one and a half, one and a half. It doesn't really deserve any kind of acclaim. It kind of wastes your time and doesn't offer anything new or original. Kip Winger is a trained, talented, trained musician and a ballet dancer. But he shows he's nothing but an industry whore who, you know, with this first foray on his own. It's Red Beach is a technically accurate, fast-fingered gunslinger with absolutely no feel whatsoever to me. I it, 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 he reminds me of a Westworld character. Or if there were, oh, if there were like a rock world, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he would be like the guy that pops up out of the ground with the, you know, or the stage, you know, with it, with, you know, a perfect rig and a perfect sound. 
<laughs> um, sort of like Ace Fraley's band. This record fails to prove that he's got any talent other than that he practices scales a lot, a whole lot. Um, but that doesn't mean he's any, he's any good. I mean, I'm not saying he's not any good, but because I've listened to the later on in the catalog and to tell you the truth, like pull is a great album. I was listening to that today. I was like, well, why can't we review this album? This was, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I don't know what it is. It was just, maybe they, they took the, 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 um, the sheen off of it and just started writing decent tunes. You know, maybe they were, they, you know, I mean, everybody was young once, you know what I mean? So, you know, I mean, I wrote some stupid shit when I was younger as well, you know, and, and it, it was all part of this thing that was the, the early eighties, but by 88, they should have been over it and they should have been writing better than this. You know, there was a rock world. Was there? It's called, it's called Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. <laughs> yes. <all> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Rip, rip. Rip and destroy. (laughs) (laughs) The band Winger came together when Kip Winger, who was playing bass in Alice Cooper's touring band along with Paul Taylor on keyboards, was introduced to guitarist Reb Beach, who at the time was working with the pop rock artist Fiona, and the two hit it off and began writing songs together and recording demos. They continued to work on the material after Kip left Cooper's band, and they recruited Paul Taylor and Rod Morgenstein, who had played for years in the jazz fusion band Dixie Dregs, to fill out the lineup. The band initially called themselves Sahara, but when they found out that name was taken, they became winger at the suggestion of Alice Cooper. Enlisting the services of famed pop metal producer Bo Hill, who was an associate of Kip's, the band entered Atlantic Studios to record its first album. When Winger the album was released, it was met with success as the music fit in with the 80s pop metal style popular at the time, and the band members' good looks, particularly Kip Winger, garnered them a large female fan base. To support the album, the band toured over a year with the likes of Bad Company, Scorpions, Cinderella, Bon Jovi, Poison, Skid Row, and Tesla, all stalwarts of the pop-slash-glam metal scene that Winger would be known as a prime example of. Winger had continued success with its second album in 1990 before it all came crashing down shortly after in the decade with the fan backlash against hair metal and the rise of grunge. The band members went on to other projects, but interestingly, through the years, every so often they would reconvene to play shows, do tours, and even record new music, which continues to this day. I've said it before many times on this podcast that I was a hair metal guy, I liked most of that music back then, and I still enjoy it today as a kind of scratching and nostalgic itch. I was the lowest common denominator. (laughs) I like this album. Does it rank as a favorite album of mine? Fuck no. It's very of its time, and there's a sameness to the tracks as it goes on that results from an obvious songwriting formula. But I still go back to it every so often when I want to be reminded of my 80s teenage days, and I contend that there are a solid handful of catchy rocking tunes on here. I give Winger's first album a three, and hey, if I consider this something of a guilty pleasure, well, call me a hair metal poser then, because I don't feel guilty about liking this at all. Now before we sign off, Curtis, please tell all the listeners about your awesome podcast. Well, the Retro Zest podcast has been going now for almost a year and three months, and... 
I just completed uh, my 69th <coughs> episode. <laughs> and uh, so episode number 70 will be next week. Everything retro-related is covered, uh, whether it be movies, music, or pop culture, or TV shows. I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of trivia, and I'm a big fan of obscurity, much to my wife's uh, dismay. I get a lot of blank stares from her when I share some of these facts with her, so that's kind of half the reason I started the podcast, uh, so that I could find my people and find people that would be interested in this kind of stuff. I have a friend uh, named Steve Spears who hosts the uh, Stuck in the 80s podcast, and I listened to him for several years, but I didn't want to be limited to the to the 1980s. So most of the topics that I cover on the podcast are within the realm of the 1970s through the 1980s. And sometimes I'll, I'll go in, go into the maybe the 1960s or the 1990s. It's been a lot of fun. It's it's really kind of uh, the podcast is really morphed into something that I really never expected it to. I've actually gotten a few interviews for the podcast. Uh, most recently, I was very pleased to be able to interview Julian Glover, who was uh, who played the villain in the James Bond film For Your Eyes Only. And he also is pretty popular in, you know, Comic-Con settings because he was in The Empire Strikes Back as uh, the, the Empire's General Veers and and also in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as as the villain in that, uh, but yeah, it's been great. It's it's just been a lot of fun. Most of the episodes center around a landmark anniversary of a movie or a TV show or a landmark birthday of a celebrity, but occasionally I'll just do an episode just for fun, just out of the blue. But uh, yeah, it's been great, and I. As you know, Aaron, I, I do my best as much as I can to plug R4 on there, and uh, especially, you know, particularly on the music episodes. I just, you know, I really didn't want to copy everybody else's podcast, so I just stole little bits and pieces of what <laughs> everybody else does and kind of morphed it into something else. So it's it's been a lot of fun, and, um, you know, all of you guys have been involved on the show, which has been great, and so I look forward to look forward to the future. Yeah. We love your show, Curtis. Yep. It's, it, it's excellent. Excellently produced. It. Yes. Very much I look forward to it. And Holy shit, dude, you Curtis, you are the pimp daddy of the R4 podcast all the time. So yes. You shouted us out on there. I can't thank you enough, man. You have spiked our numbers often when you plug one of our shows. So, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough for, for doing that and and being such a great friend of the show. Well, I mean, you're 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 a co-host. You're part of the fam. So, oh, uh, well, that's that's good to know because uh, you know I, I you know I've always of the opinion that you should remember where you came from, you know, and uh, you should always honor those who inspired you. And you know, this podcast is is an inspiration. So, well, again, thank you, my friend. You betcha. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron 
and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm Mike. I'm Lewis. I'm Curtis. See ya. I'm Billy Milano. I'm a bold, courageous man. He is. He is. Yes, yes, he is. beautiful it's in the bible or i'm in the bible or whatever and he says yeah that's right uh samson used samson killed an entire army with your jawbone <laughs> <laughs> deborah winger kit winger i, I, I don't know i couldn't tell that's some sort of shit <laughs> okay, i got no place else to go <laughs> <laughs> That was my muff. It's just—it's just like low-hanging fruit. It's a given. <laughs> it is a given. It was. That's my muff. <laughs> I didn't even mention that was my muff. <laughs> yeah, <I didn't> even... <laughs> well, now we got chipmunk done too. That's, that's my muff back there. <laughs> so forget the Jesse Harms T-shirt, Curtis. I need a shirt that says that's my muff. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.